take a moment, church.
changing, mysterious and unknown. Your boundless love unfailing, grace and mercy shown. Bright seraphim in ceaseless flight around your glorious throne. They raise their Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Welcome. So glad that you are here this morning, whether you're worshiping with us here in person or online in our separate masked-only room, wherever you are, however you're worshiping with us. We're so glad that you have us here today with us today. And so as we start worshiping together we're going to start today by worshiping the Lord in baptism. And this is such a fun, exciting way to begin our worship because of what baptism means and symbolizes. As we go into baptism, what we're going to see are people who go under the water and come back up again. And that means something. That means two things specifically. One, it's ceremoniously, it's a picture of Jesus dying being buried and rising again to new life from the grave. And second, it's a picture of this person through faith in Christ, dying to their old life, being buried in their sin and rising again to new life in Jesus. It is an amazing picture of a beautiful thing God has done in the life of one of his kids. And so I want to introduce you to a couple of people. Jeff and Wendy, come on down. So this is Jeff and Wendy Soto. So Jeff and Wendy, they've um, been here part of our church and uh, gone through the new member process. And we're going to be actually presenting them for membership here in just a little bit at the end of the service. But both of them are coming today professing their faith in Jesus Christ, that they've put faith in Jesus for salvation, that he has made them new. And they're coming today to, to, to show that for you as a church and to, and to praise God for what he's done in them. So we're going to baptize them together. And I love baptizing couples and families together because God does a great thing in families. And we love celebrating that and seeing him do that. So Jeff, we're going to start with you. So why don't you turn? Wendy, can you just step over here for me? And reading Jeff's testimony this morning is his friend Charles. Charles, come on up. 
Charles serves with Jeff on our parking team, and Charles is going to share Jeff's testimony. I grew up from, my bapt- from baptism as an infant through to my teen years attending church. I was taught about God, our Lord, attending student services, Bible studies, and Bible camps, but never really ap- uh, comprehended what a relationship with God was until a couple of years. I was baptized Catholic and attended Catholic churches into my teens, but became disillusioned with the overly strict nature and distracting traditions that were required to be followed. I questioned what these traditions had to do with having the Lord as my savior, but never received adequate answers, and I began to distance myself from the church because I couldn't find him. At my request, he revealed himself to me as I experienced the most frightening moments of my life while deployed in the, with the military. It turns out I didn't need to find him. He was always with me. I just couldn't see it. Truly letting God into my life and my heart has changed me and my outlook. I feel a calmness and clarity as I become closer to him and now experience a bond with my wife we never had before as we worship the Lord together. Amen. So Jeff, I now baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ready? Amen. All right. So you guys trade. Jeff, you go over there. Wendy, have a seat. Sharing Wendy's testimony this morning is Laura, and they are a part of a Bible study together. So, Laura. I was brought up in church, so I knew who God was, but I never truly asked him into my heart until I was 26. I strayed and had a lukewarm relationship with him until I was 52. This is when I truly started following him and trusting him. I've always been a control freak, controlling my family, my job, my health, and anything else I thought I could control. God has taken this all out of my hands, so I don't have control through a lost job, family problems, and health issues. And he made it so that all I can do is lean into him through some of the worst fears of my life. Through all of this, he has never left me, and I draw closer to him each day. I've learned to trust him in everything, the tough times and good times. God is changing me every day, a little less selfish, a little less fearful, a little less controlling, and a little less angry. A little kinder, a little more caring, a little more empathetic, and a little more faith. A little less of me and more of him. Amen. So, Wendy, I now baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ready? Amen. All right. Give him a hug. All right. Let's pray for the Sotos, okay? Lord, we just thank you for Jeff and Wendy. We thank you, God, for the work in their lives that you have done and are continuing to do. We pray your blessings on them, Jesus, as they are walking their new life out in you. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to embolden them for your glory, to live out for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Stand with me. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. sing together graves into gardens 
He is holy and righteous. I searched the world, but it couldn't feel me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough.
Scripture tells us, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and You are exalted as head above all. Because of that, we can sing. Eternal God, unchanging, mysterious and unknown, your boundless love, unfailing, grace and mercy shown, Christ
God, we gather today because you are glorious and worthy. God, let our hearts sing out, not because of what you've done for us, which is amazing, but because you are the great I am. Because you are glorious and righteous and holy and perfect. The beginning and the end. Yahweh, the God who provides, the God who heals. Lead us in worship and spirit and in truth. God, I pray for the saints to celebrate that our adoration for you would grow today. Lord, as we sing and praise your name, let the whole world hear us. Christ is Lord. There is no other glorious day that we celebrate today. In Christ's name we pray.
Thank you that you, in your glory, in your power, your might, you're amazing that you are coming back. And I thank you, Lord, that as we live here on this planet, Jesus, that even though trials may come and difficulties may come and heartache may come, we know that you are victorious. You have not forgotten us. You have not left us or forsaken us. And you are coming back again one day. We praise you, Jesus, for this. I ask you, Lord, that you today will be glorified in all that we do. As we open up your word in your name. Amen. All right. Hey, if you got a Bible, let's find 1 Peter chapter 3 together. While you're finding that, a couple quick announcements. One, welcome again to you. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad that you're here. Hopefully you grabbed a bulletin when you came in. That's going to give you a little bit of information as to what's going on around here. Inside that bulletin, you'll find a text to engage number, 910-424-1298. You'll see that in your bulletin there. That's how you sign up for things here at our church, texting in to sign up. And so, one, if you're a guest with us, we want you to text the word CONNECT in so that we can know you are here and we can connect with you, uh, uh, minister to you, pray for you, help you in the best way that we can, get plugged in here at Southview. So just text CONNECT there. Also, I'll give you one more thing. This coming Saturday, we're going to have a men's breakfast here at our church, 8 o'clock. Guys, if you want to sign up for that, just text the word BREAKFAST in to that number, 910-424-1298, so we know how many to prepare for. But come this Saturday, 8 o'clock, hang out. Um, it's going to be a blast. I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. All right. Our passage today, 1 Peter chapter 3, is been called by Bible teachers, theologians, commentators as a shade tree in a hot day. The idea is this world brings a lot of heat, right? A lot of heat comes on. A lot of, there can be difficulty and pain and heartache and suffering that comes on us through this world. And the passage we're going to see today, God intends for this to be shade for you to be under to get a little reprieve from the heat. I mean, we live in southeastern North Carolina. We know heat, yeah? I mean, just watch the weather. Have you noticed something? The Weather Channel. Raleigh, 72. Wilmington, 73. Fayetteville, 112. Like, what is, seriously, what is up with that? We know heat. You know, in July and August, you're going to park a mile and a half away from your office building because there's one tiny tree out there. You're going to get underneath it. Why? So that your car won't be 1,000 degrees when you get back in it. We're looking for shade. And this passage today is shade from the heat of this world. Do you feel like this world is just dropping heat on you? Do you feel 
in that, that, that just difficulty in life and heartache, and this passage is going to be that shade for you. And if you're not experiencing that, it's going to go ahead and prep you for if and when that comes, God's going to provide shade. When we, when we have difficulty and pain and heartache in this world, we typically have two wrong responses. Uh, flight or fight, right? A lot of times when suffering comes, sometimes we flee. We run away from it. We try our best to get out from underneath it as much as possible. This can manifest in several ways. You may be having struggles in your marriage, and the way that you run away from that is quite literally to run away. Some run away from suffering by medicating, whether it be through alcohol, drugs, uh, other ways, through food, through, through, through shopping. There are things that we do to, if not physically, and at least mentally, try to run away from the difficulty. Others, you're not a fleer, you're a fighter, right? Suffering comes, I'm going to punch it in the face. Your goal is you to stand up for your rights, your thoughts, your opinions. You, you're going to stand toe-to-toe with whatever comes your way, and you're going to fight it. What I want to show us today in Scripture is God's call on us isn't necessarily to flee or necessarily to fight, but to walk through it by faith. And that's what we're going to see today. How do we walk through times of difficulty with faith? 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. And we're going to ask ourselves, okay, it's not if suffering comes, but when. And when it comes, how do we as followers of Christ walk through this by faith in a way that is different from the world, glorifies God, and seeks to further the kingdom here on earth? First is this, we're going to seek to be a blessing. In the midst of heartache and difficulty and pain and trial, we're going to seek to bless. Look at verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Focus in on verse 9 just for a moment. What does it say? Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, do what? Bless. All throughout 1 Peter and all throughout the Bible, what we consistently see is this. God's plan for you to walk through something is diametrically opposed to what the world and what wells up inside of you as what is right to do. In fact, it says there in verse 9 there, on the contrary, the idea is this. Everything inside you wells up to return, to shoot back, to defend, to answer, to show how you're right and they're wrong. I'm good and you're bad. I'm wearing the white hat. You're wearing the black hat. Everything inside us pushes us to that. And it says here in verse 9, but on the contrary, bless. The word bless literally means to speak well of someone. To say good things about them. To bless them. Why would we do this? Verse 9 gives us two reasons. 
Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Why? Number one, for to this you were called. This is speaking of salvation. Whenever the New Testament speaks of calling, it's speaking of your salvation. You were saved for this purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, hear me please. We are called to be a blessing people. We are called by God to bless. Can we just be honest for a moment? And I know we're in church and this is no place to be honest. But let's give it a shot. On the whole, would you say the Christian church in America blesses more or curses more? I'll tell you what I think. And this is just from my own thoughts and opinions. It's anecdotal at best. I, I have not done any extensive research, but I'll tell you what I think. I think we curse our enemy way more than we seek to bless them. I think we seek to curse them. I think we seek to put them in the corner, ostracize them, show the world how good we are and how bad they are. And again, like I say often, your problem here is going to be the Bible. Because the Bible says that we're not to return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, curse for curse, accusation for accusation. We're to respond blessing. Because you were called for this. Salvation is this. You deserve to be cursed by God, but he blessed you instead. You deserve to be condemned by God, but he forgave you instead. You deserve to be cast out by God, but he brought you in instead. You are saved today because you got a blessing when you deserved a curse. That is the whole point of Christianity. What we're going to see again is we see over and over and over in 1 Peter, the crazy thing is this. We are consistently not giving people what we've been given by God. You've been given blessing, not a curse, but what do we do to our enemies? We curse. We demean. We attack. We post. We tweet. We don't bless. You do this because you're just called to do it. This is who you are. When you do not do this, you are going contrary to who you are in Christ. And then there's a second reason. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. And then secondly, that you may obtain a blessing. Blessing comes to you as you bless others. You are blessed by God by doing this. It says it right here. You do it because you were called to it and because you receive blessing from God when you do. Listen, bless someone, bless your enemy, bless the one who comes against you, bless the one you disagree with, bless the one who's opposite of you. Bless them because Jesus calls you to do it. Bless them because they're created in the image of God. But bless them also because you get blessed in return. You receive a blessing from God. If you jump back up to verse 8, it kind of talks a little bit about what this blessing might look like. Look at what it says in verse 8. 
Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This kind of breaks down a little bit of what this blessing might look like. It says that towards this individual, you're going to have unity of mind. That means in some way, shape, or form, you are walking together. Brothers and sisters, listen, we need to hear this. Not everyone who disagrees with you is your enemy. Not everyone who disagrees with you is your enemy. There is something you can be unified on. Even if they don't think that there can be any unity, you believe that there is unity. Even if you disagree with them on everything, even if they are truly violent, wicked, and wrong, and despicable, in the least you're agreeing in your mind that you're both created in the image of God and Jesus died for both of you and he wants to save them. You at least know that about them. There's something that can draw you in union with them, even if you disagree about everything. This is extremely important, obviously, in our political climate. Listen, in 48 hours, half of the United States of America is not going to lose an election. Half of the United States of America in 48 hours is going to believe it was stolen from them. Doesn't matter who wins. Half the country, it's already set up. And listen, there's a great little book. This is totally off script and I'm blowing my time. Sorry, nursery. But listen, I read a great book called Zucked. It's a play on words. I won't tell you how. But it's about Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO and founder of Facebook, written by one of his former executives. They set up the algorithm to make you mad. He says, we have a purpose to keep you flipping longer. And we found what keeps you flipping longer isn't cute cat videos, it's anger. And if we can put something on your newsfeed to make you angry, you'll keep flipping and we get more money from advertisers. They have created an environment on purpose for a virtual civil war so that they can make billions and you're getting the the short end of the stick. It is designed on purpose in 48 hours for half of the country to go on Facebook furious. That's their point. So they can laugh all the way to the bank. That's The point. Brothers and sisters, and this doesn't change when we get into the church. I've seen more division in the church than ever before. Unity of mind. Seek the Lord. Where can you find unity and focus there? Next, it goes on. What's next? Sympathy. This is seeking to feel how someone else feels. Brotherly love, loving them as an actual part of your family. Tender-hearted, compassionate, humble mind. I love this. Humble mind means you think lowly of your own opinion. Humble mind means you are not raising your opinion to an undue place. You place it low. Bless. How do we bless? We start first, I think, by blessing in our prayers. You can't speak publicly well of someone if you're not speaking privately to God well of them. You can't do that. But you can start speaking publicly well if you speak privately well to God. 
Ask God to speak to your heart. Ask God to speak blessing to you about them. Ask God to show you his heart for them. Ask God to give you his heart for them. Begin blessing them by praying for them. And coming off the heels of verse 9 where it says that, that as you bless, you receive a blessing, you roll into verse 10, which starts to quote Psalm 34, 12 through 16. Verse 10 says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days. Okay, quick poll. Who here wants to love life and see good days? Anybody? Oh, great. So then everybody here, you want to listen to the next verse. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. That's the blessing. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Why do you want to return blessing for evil? Because God turns his face from those who do evil and he doesn't care what your name is. And he... Listen, it's not like my six-year-old. God doesn't care who started it. Well, yeah, but he said. He, re- he turns his face to everyone who does evil. So that's why the scriptures will tell you there in verse 9, don't return evil for evil, return the blessing, because he turns his face to those who do evil, but he blesses those who bless. Even if it's purely right now, if there's not a lot of faith in it and you're doing it for a purely selfish way, start there. He turns his face to those who do evil, but he blesses those who bless. And then verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. We have a shield and a weapon as we walk through this life of pain and suffering. And it's called blessing. Be a blessing. Be a blessing. Don't return barb for barb, shot for shot, reviling for reviling, evil for evil. As they do that to you, you return blessing back to them. And it confounds them. They don't know what to do with it. It's just, what, even my wife, she has a great little game that she plays with people. Um, while she's out, if someone just has a sour, horrible look on their face, she'll just smile at them and just see what happens. One of two things, they smile back or they look like a third arm is growing out of her forehead and they're worn away. It's just a simple way of returning blessing for reviling. Even if it's not towards her, it's just, Seek to bless. Second, how do we handle hardship, difficulty, pain, trial in this world? Turn misery into ministry. Look at verse 15. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. All right, stop just a second and look at verse 15. So, verse 15 is where we get the term apologetics. So, apologetics doesn't mean that you're apologizing for something. I'm sorry. Apologetics means you're defending something. We get it from uh, the Greek word here uh, in verse 15, reason, apologeo. 
means apologetics, you're giving the reason. So let me explain what this verse is not necessarily saying and what it is saying, okay? 1 Peter 3.15, when it talks about giving a reason, this does not just mean you are, it's not just a defense for the field of apologetics. The point of verse 15 is not be able to defend the ontological argument for the existence of God. Too many people take verse 15 and mean that that means I'm supposed to be good at arguing. And that is the exact opposite of what the verse actually says. It's a little frustrating. Well, you know, I'm just a good apologist. No, you're a jerk. Some Christians just are. That's not what verse 15 is saying. Look at what it says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The point of 1 Peter 3.15 is life is hard and tough and difficult, but you are walking through it with supernatural grace Hope, love, mercy, compassion. To the point people around you are going, how are you doing that? And you just say Jesus. That's the point. The point isn't that you can argue someone under the table or that you have a great comeback. The point isn't that you have answers to all the questions. The point of 1 Peter 3.15 is you're walking in supernatural power, grace, love, mercy, compassion, and hope, and it is flooring everyone around you. The, first, the point of 1 Peter 3.15 is not that you're smart, but that you're filled with hope. And you're able to turn misery into ministry because people are going to ask, how are you doing this. Verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not if, but when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. That's a great little line. Sometimes God wants us to walk through pain. Not that God is bringing it, not that God is causing it, not that God is causing sin or any of those things, but God is working his will in it, through it. If that should be God's will, it's better to suffer for good than for evil. Let difficulty and pain, misery, be a springboard into ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to what it says, verses 3 and 4. Write this one down, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. The point is this, we're walking through difficulty, we're walking through trial, we're walking through hardship, and God wants to now allow us to use that to Spin around and bless others. The comfort that we've been given by God, we now spin that around and show that to others. We take our misery and let it spring us into ministry. You know, one of the great things about being a pastor is I get to hear some of the backstories of people's lives. And I was spending some time with a family just this week. 
And we were talking about some things, some things that are going on in their life and family. And, and the lady looked at me and said, you know, it's amazing. If all this would have happened five years ago, I, I would have just crawled in bed and not gotten out. I just would have balled up and I don't know if I could have gone on. But God has done such an amazing work in my life. I'm able to walk forward today trusting God in this. That is exactly what this passage is saying. Allowing the difficulties of life to springboard us forward into ministry. I, was, I personally was so blessed in hearing that. Because it's someone taking a difficult situation in life and allowing it to springboard them forward in faith. And it doesn't just have to be those kind of things. Sometimes your greatest testimonies come as a result of your failures, not your accomplishments, not your successes. I, I have a good friend of mine. I've known him for about 20 years. He's a, a, in ministry. Been a real valuable friend and mentor to me about five four or five years ago um he sinned entered into sexual immorality lost his ministry and he fell he fell off the map i couldn't find him i couldn't track him down he went dark i didn't know where he was i didn't know what was going on I just prayed for him. I had no clue. Just this week, he pops up on my phone. I'm like, how are you? Are you okay? You know what he said? He said, man, I went through a really dark time because of my own sin. I sinned and I blew everything up. But I've seen in the last few years the grace of God in a way that I've never experienced in my entire life. And I'm walking in joy in the Lord that I didn't think was possible. Again, that's taking misery and turning it into ministry. He completely train wrecked his life. He sinned against God, his family. None of that has changed. But even in the midst of that, God used it to springboard him forward and trust in him and faith in him. How do we handle times of difficulty? We turn our misery into ministry. Some of you in this room, you have walked through some very difficult, painful things. Today, you can use that to be a blessing to others. You can use that to bless. You can use that to further. You can do that, use that to minister in profound and amazing ways. And, and last thing is this. How do we walk through times of pain and difficulty? How do we walk through, through, through trial on earth? Know that Christ wins. This is the whole point of this next little section of Scripture. Know that Jesus wins. And as we walk through this, there are actually going to be two really difficult things. This next couple of verses are actually some of the most difficult verses to interpret in the entire Bible. Some of the most difficult Scriptures in the entire Bible to understand. And we're going to explain it in two and a half minutes. So there are two big issues. 
First is this, um, we're going to see as we walk through it here in a second, um, that we got to understand what a phrase means. In verse 19, it's going to ask the question, um, uh, what does it mean in verse 19 that Jesus went and proclaimed the spirits to the spirits in prison? What does that mean? And then we're going to look in verse 21, what does it mean when it says baptism now saves you? Right, so what does it mean that Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison? And what does it mean that baptism saves you? These two ideas have been tweaked and distorted and used to make some really funky ideas. And we're going to try to debunk that here in just a moment. So the first is this. Problem number one, what do we do with verse 19? Let's pick it up in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In verse 19. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because, verse 20, they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. So what does this mean? There are two big schools of thought. All right, idea number one. When it says in verse 19 that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, it's talking about how Jesus preached, the spirit of Jesus preached through Noah, right? Um, uh, 1 Peter 3.18 calls uh, 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 Noah a preacher of righteousness. And then back in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it says that the Spirit of Christ was speaking through the prophets. So the idea is Noah, God tells him to build a boat, he builds a boat, and then he preaches for 120 years. Preaching repentance, 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 repentance for 120 years. And he's saying here that these spirits who were in prison were actually the human spirits, people, unsaved people, far from God, who were in the prison of their sin. They did not repent, and then they were locked up in the prison of God's judgment. The second idea is that Jesus, when he went, when he died on the cross, he was in the grave, he then went basically to hell and preached to demonic spirits, telling them while they're in prison and how they're going to stay in prison. I personally vote number one, not number two. Because I think we've got some more scriptural evidence to back that up. I think what's happening here is this. The, the, again, the example it gives is Noah. So we've got to work through the whole context. He puts Noah in there for a reason. It's not randomness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. First Peter 1, the Spirit of Christ preached through these prophets, Noah being one. And Noah preached forgiveness. He preached salvation. He preached repentance of sin for 120 years. But none of them turned except for the eight members of his family. Second issue, verse 21, baptism. Baptism, verse 21, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So is this thing that baptism saves you? No. Because it says so, I think, in the verse here. Verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, 
not the, as the removal of dirt from your body. So it's saying the actual physical act of being baptized. We just did it a few minutes ago. We'll do it again in the second service. The actual physical act of going onto the water and coming up doesn't save you. It's a picture of what it says here. An appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Jeff and Wendy went through baptism just a moment ago, they didn't do that so that they would be saved. They did that because they already have been. They did that because Jesus has already cleansed them of their sin. And this is just a picture showing everyone that it's true. It's like my wedding ring. Putting a ring on my finger does not make me married and taking it off does it make me single, right? It's not married, single, married, single, right? It's not it. What is it? It's just a symbol and a picture of a greater covenant that I've already entered into. Same thing with baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. It's a picture of the fact that Christ already has. So what does all of this mean? The point of this passage in using Noah as an example is to show you that even if the entire world hates you, even if the entire world thinks you're crazy, even if the entire world runs away from God while you're the only one running to God, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ wins. The point of this passage is to encourage you and give you hope. Even if our world feels like Noah's world. Genesis 6 says what was happening in Noah's world. Every person on earth only thought and did evil continuously. Sound like 2020? Even if the entire world burns, Jesus still wins. That's the point. So let's do this. Look at verse 18, and then let's jump down and read 22. Let's read those two together. And just for a second, take out the little parentheses with Noah. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The whole point of this passage, again, is using Noah as an example of showing you Jesus Christ wins. And since Jesus is victorious, our focus is on him. Our hope is in him. Our eyes are on him. And that means the most important thing in our lives should be him. Again, I know we have a big week coming up as a country. And I want to encourage you to take part. I already voted. I already did that. I encourage you to do the same thing. I didn't get a sticker this year. Kind of bummed, but whatever. Be a part of that. However, as important as elections are, the donkey does not save you and the elephant does not save you. Only the lamb does. So focus on Jesus, not them. And economics are important. I like having money and being able to send my kids to college. That's a good thing. Economics are great. A strong economy is great. But you know what's even more important? The fact that Jesus came to die for the rich and the poor. So focus on him. Race is significant. And racial tension is important to do business with in the Lord. But you know what's more important? Jesus died for all races. And we believe by faith in him, he makes all races one family. 
COVID is important. But you know what? Mask or no mask, everybody dies. And on that day, only one thing will matter. What you did with Jesus. Listen, it uses Noah as the example here. So think about Noah. Again, Genesis 6 says the entire world was wicked, and that includes Noah. Noah was not saved because Noah was good. Noah was saved because God is gracious. Read the rest of the story. After Noah got off the boat, you know what he did? Got drunk and exposed himself to his kids. It's like a Jerry Springer episode. That's the guy God chose to save. The whole point is grace. So God goes to Noah and says, Noah, listen, I need your help. Noah says, I'm here, God. He says, Noah, it's going to rain. Here's the problem. Noah looked at God and said, okay, what's rain? He lives in the desert. And most Bible commentators believe up to that point in human history, it hadn't even rained yet. He didn't even know what it was. He's like, what's rain? He's like, oh, well, I'm going to take water from the ground, take it up top, and drop it back down again. He's like, okay. I need you to build a boat. Okay, what's a boat? It's like a house that floats. Okay. So Noah builds a boat in the middle of the desert on a planet that has never experienced a drop of rain. Are you tracking? And he builds this boat. And for 120 years, he builds and he preaches. And he builds and he preaches. And he builds and he preaches. Day after day after day after day. And what's he preaching? Judgment is coming. God is going to judge you. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. The wrath of God is coming. And for 120 years, he was mocked and jeered and laughed at. And then one day, I mean, my goodness, God, did it have to, it must have felt like five ever for Noah, right? 120 years. Then one day, a drop falls and it lands on Noah's hand. That's new. Just like now, I can hear rain falling. And rain's starting to fall. And God tells Noah and his family to get in the ark. So they get in and God himself closes up the door. And as they're in this ark with all these animals, it rains and 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 it rains. And you have any idea how long it had to rain to be able just to get that ark to start to rise? Rained and it rained and it rained and it rained and it rained. You know what happened? All those people that for 120 years mocked and cheered and laughed. You know what they started doing then? Let me in! Let me in! But you know what? 
It was too late. And there will come a day where it will be too late for you. The most important day in your life is your last day, and you don't know when that's going to be. In Noah, God's judgment came in water. There will come a day, Revelation tells us, where his judgment will come again, this time in fire. And it will be too late. Just like Noah was saved in the wood of the ark, you can only be saved through the wood of the cross. And just like God closed the door and kept Noah and his family secure, God will close you up in salvation and keep you secure in this sin-soaked, insane world. But you must repent and turn. So I want to ask you to just for a moment, if you just bow your heads just for a moment. I want to encourage you, I want you to listen to me. If God can save a man like Noah, God can save you. If God can save Noah's family, God can save your family. But today you must turn and repent. God's judgment falls. It is as sure as the rain. It is going to eventually fall. The question is, will it be too late for you? It does not have to be. Today, the scriptures say, can be your day of salvation. So today... Today, will you turn from your sin? Jesus Christ came, just like we saw in the scriptures. Jesus Christ came, and he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God. If your desire today is to turn from your sin, believe by faith in Jesus, and be made new, if that's your desire today, I want to encourage you right now at this moment, confess your sin to Jesus. Call out to him. Ask him to make you new. Say, Jesus, right now, I confess my sin. I confess my rebellion. I turn to you, Jesus. Save me and make me new. If that's your prayer today, just like we saw earlier, the next step for you is going to be baptism. Not because baptism saves you, but because baptism is a picture of what God is doing right now in you already. Cleansing you and making you new. Trust by faith in Jesus today and be made new. Jesus, I pray over your people here this morning. 
I pray for those who know you, your sons and your daughters who are walking through a fallen and wicked world. I pray today, Lord, that we would see, we'll have a paradigm shift of how we walk through this life of difficulty sometimes. Seeking to be a blessing even if we're sinned against. Seeking to turn our misery into ministry and blessing, serving, ministering, comforting others. And having sure, rock-solid faith that Jesus Christ always wins so I can trust in Him. And I pray also for those here today who are trusting by faith in you, Jesus, for the first time. I pray that salvation goes deep, the roots go strong, and you're glorified in their life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you with all of our hearts. Do this great work in your people. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before you get out of here, I want to introduce you to a couple of folk. So we did baptism before. Now we have some couples we want to introduce to you for new membership today. Um, first, uh, the Mincy's, Jeremy and Brandy. There we go. Come on down here, guys. So this is Jeremy and Brandy Mincy. Come on down this way. So now uh, I am going to ask how long you guys been been coming here to Southview? Ten years. Finally. They're like, all right, well, they're not crazy people. It's not a cult, so we'll join today. <laughs> so we're glad to have them a part of us. And so I, I asked them that also for this reason. I know we have people who have been a part of this church for many, 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 many years. And I want to encourage you. There's something about stepping forward in covenant membership. There's just, it's just a, a, a powerful agreeing together of this is our body. So Jeremy and Brandy, they're, of course, uh, uh, as much as our, of our body as anyone. Been a part of here for a long time, serving very faithfully in ministry and being a part of small groups. And so we're just so glad to have them continuing to be a part of us here at Southview. So if you're excited about Jeremy and Brandy being here at Southview, continuing to be a part of our family, can you just uh, just let them know by saying amen? amen? Amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Scoot down that way just a hair. Now, Sotos, come on down, guys. So you met uh, Jeff and Wendy earlier. So now they're coming today. Uh, to officially, again, be a part of the body here at Southview. And so, um, uh, uh, Wendy is uh, a part of our ladies' Bible study, Be Still. Jeff helps serve on our parking team. They're just uh, jump right in being a part of the body here at Southview. And so, again, if you're excited about Jeff and Wendy being a part of the body here and serving and being a part of Southview family, we let them know by saying amen. 
Amen. Fantastic. Fantastic. Awesome. And we got a whole new crew in the second service as well. So a lot of great things going on here at Southview, even in the midst of a goofy and crazy 2020. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us, and we're going to get out of here, but I want to pray for the Sotos, for the Mincies, pray for them and being part of our family here. You pray for them as well, and let's lift them up before the Lord, okay? So, Lord, I just thank you for these great families. I thank you, God, for calling them here. I thank you, Lord, for them being a part of our body. I thank you, God, for, for the great things that you've already used them to do right here at Southview. And I know it's just going to get bigger and more glorious uh, for you. I thank you, Jesus, for that. I pray, God, again, your blessings on them, blessings on their family. Glorify your name in them, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a great day. Some people think that this is just some words on a page. But you're nothing more than fables handed down along the way. But I've seen you park and walk.